0: Well, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, as as many of you know, uh, we had a trip, had a team in Thailand, got back uh, last Sunday afternoon. So glad to be home. And I thought maybe some of you would like to hear a little bit about the trip. First of all, if you are on our team and you're in here because I'm not seeing anybody right now, would you stand up if you're on our team in Thailand? Anybody here? Stan, Stan, all right. <laughs> I can barely see you back there, man. All right, Stan, anyone else? Okay, well, we uh, we took off hit hit Thailand hit the ground. It's fourteen hour, uh, Detroit to Seoul. Seoul right into Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai is real close to Doi Saket, so uh, pretty convenient. Hit the airport. They always kind of shower us with flowers and stuff when we get there. But uh, this is the sign that's in front of our orphanage, and uh, it's just great to connect with all this the staff and the kids. And so that's what we did. Um, it, Here's what our orphanage looks like. There's a little bit of a misunderstanding. You see, go back to that last picture. See behind this building? There's kind of a nicer building. There's actually a fence, there's a pool there. That's just right next door, it's like a hotel. So when you see kids at a pool and everything, that's not the orphanage. No, we didn't put in a pool for them. No, that's actually right next door to the orphanage. And uh, and so that's like a kitchen, and infirmary there. I think we have some other pictures. That's DS3. You see the kitchen in the background. This is DS4. Uh, those are male and female dorms. There's two apartments on either end. That's kind of what's going on there. And um, and so our staff kind of settled in, connected there. And then we always try to connect with uh, with take our other staff out to dinner, our staff at DS3, DS4, we did that. Here we had some big meat. So as you can see, uh, Michael eating there and just had a, a great time together connecting. And just, it was great for us to see all the kids. You got to remember that as we're seeing these kids, when I first met them, a lot of them, they're only this high. You know, we've, we've been connected with them now for 12 years. And so they've grown up, they're in high school, we have six uh, in college and a couple that have gone on to trade schools and careers. And so it's just great to, to watch them. Of course, while we're there, we see some of the sites uh, in Thailand. We, we visited a, a Buddhist temple that was there's Buddhist temples everywhere. And it just uh, there's several just almost within walking distance. This is a monk who wanted to, to read my palm. And so, you know, I gave him my palm and he told me I was 48 years old. So I gave him hundred dollars. No, 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 I, I didn't give him any money, but yeah. So, but, but I did like what he had to say. But uh, so it's so good for us uh, connecting with our students. Here, if we'll stop right here, uh, this is Bua on on the left, and then the one with the scarf on her head is Ging Dao. These are two of our university students, so we just have a great time uh, connecting with the kids from young to old and uh it 's cool to see that um, that that 's actually in church, so watch it um, and uh, there's there 's Michael uh, we just uh, just had a great time connecting with everyone here 's some of our staff and uh, a couple of our older students and then we did do church while we were there, uh, as we always do. And that's with all the Asia's Hope, uh, one, two, three, and four that, that's in that area. But they had something special for Jill and Scott Aldrich. Remember, they were there as single people, and then they, got, and then they came back. They got married last month. And so they did like a wedding for them. And uh, really cool. Those are the flower girls. And so we just had a lot of time celebrating with Scott and Jill and uh their their marriage and everything so so that was fun and uh here uh we this is it at that place next door uh they have a meeting room and so then some of the kids were doing some things here's where they do the hand things in the dark and just different things that they had planned that they wanted to show us sort of do a program for us uh which was really fun we we went on and did the, the elephants that we sometimes do, take a ride through the forest and uh, have a good time doing that. Whoops, stop right there. That is Patty Wookie. You probably didn't recognize her there. She, she goes wild when you get her over in Thailand. You got to watch out. But anyway, we, we did have fun and, uh, and it was just a great time. This is a snake show that you could go to, which is kind of weird because they're messing with cobras. And uh, they even extract the venom when they're done with their show uh, in front of you. And it's kind of cool. But uh, then we went to uh, Maysot. We went to the border where we help refugees uh, from Burma, or now it's called Myanmar. And, uh, And so we visited some schools there that are ministering to refugees' children that are on the Thailand side of the border. Just a lot of them. And tried to encourage the staff, encourage Uh, them with with some gifts and stuff. And then when you go to a place like this, there's always the bathroom issue, and that's what's happening with Patty here. And there's a whole video to this. I'm not going to show it, but it's hilarious. So if you just want to see that, she tries to to navigate that. We also connected with some ministry leaders while we were there. We took a bunch of people uh, from all these schools out to eat at kind of an open-air restaurant This is uh, Scott Aldrich cooking my meal for me at the table. And uh, this is me trying to eat it, (laughs) but but, uh, had a great time. Some pictures you really can't define. This is Clay. Um, We also took the, we always try to take the kids to do something that they've never done before. This time we went to a lake, we got on a bunch of boats. uh, We traveled to a a lakeside kind of, I don't know if if it would be a Thailand resort. I mean, it's not much, it's just kind of a, a dock where you can get boats, and, and we did some of that and had a good time with the kids, messing with, swimming and, uh, and just doing different things there. And the kids seem to love that stuff, and we always have a great time connecting. This is back at the pool next door to the orphanage. This is Scott. He's, uh, Scott, by the way, phenomenal with the kids. He can remember, he, he's been three years in a row now. He can remember probably more than half the kids' names. I mean, there's 58 kids. I mean, so it's, it's kind of that you only see maybe once a year at the most. Uh, here's Stan uh, just connecting and his first time. In the evenings, a lot of times we'll go over from our motel over here and then we'll connect. There's a little hut there and they have a fire and we'll connect with the staff and, and we don't have an interpreter there. So it's always the, the challenge of us trying to uh, talk with our staff, but now Google Translate and some different tools on the phone make that a lot easier either in writing or, or by voice. And so that's kind of what's happening there. One of the things we did is we went up to another town north of Doi Saket called uh, Wang And up there, there was a camp. They were talking about prophecy. I found out I was the speaker at that camp. And so uh, we, we did that. And uh, and that was a, a good time. And, and this is where everything's set up. And they just roll out mats. Everybody sits on the ground. There's a platform. Here they're fixing uh, food for two or three hundred people. And uh, this is this is uh, the orphanage family from Doi Sucket and Wang which are the two places Asia's Hope is in. And let's see what we have next. Uh, ice cream, of course. We took the kids shopping, which we always do. We take them kind of to, a, to a, a modern mall, give the kids money, and let them buy what they need. And, of course, toward the end of that, we, we load them up on sugar. And uh, here's us connecting with... Uh, we had some staff transition. Two of our home families since last year are gone. One we knew was leaving and, and then this couple left unexpectedly, but we were able to connect with them as old friends. That's C uh, in the back and then Yupin and Scott and Jill know them well. And so we, we took them out to eat and had a great time. And that's kind of, that, that's a bit of a recap of our trip, but it was just a, a wonderful experience. So cool to see our kids growing up over time they are they're in a country that's less than one percent Christian. As far as we know, all of our older kids have become believers. I mean, they've all indicated that. And then they they are kind of being launched by us uh, to go to school or a trade school, and then we're hoping we'll go on to impact Thailand. And it's not just uh, orphanages. Doi number three and number four that, that we support, that we take care of. But there's a, a Doi Saquette number one that, that's even larger and a Doi Cassette number two that's in that area too. But we're just hoping all these kids will, uh, will grow up, make an impact on their country. So great trip, had a wonderful time. Uh, you should all consider it. And, uh, but it's good to be home. We are, yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah, great great to see our kids. We're we're in a series in Ephesians, so we want to dive into that. And we, Tim left off last Sunday in chapter four, and we're going to pick it up there. And he mentioned that in chapter four, there's a transition in Ephesians from theology to practical application in our life. And that's important for believers. But as we think about that, because now this deals with how we should live. And so here's my question to you. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you'll do something and later realize, or maybe even knew it before, that it was wrong and then you wished you hadn't have done it? That happened to anybody as a believer? Yeah, I, probably has happened to all of us. So I don't know what's up with you guys not raising your hand, but that happens to a lot of us, okay? And, uh, and that's kind of the struggle Have you ever noticed that there's a gap between who you want to be and who you end up being? I mean, we want to follow Christ. We want to do what's right. We want to to honor him with our life. And then every once in a while, we mess that up. Scripture is very honest about this. As a matter of fact, the author of Ephesians is Paul. He also wrote Romans. And Romans 7 is a classic example where Paul is saying, Wow, what I wanna do? I don't always do that. And then things that I've decided I'm never gonna do again, I find myself doing it. And he's talking about the struggle we have as we we experience the change that happens in our life when we become a believer. And so he's gonna revisit that. He talked about Romans seven. We're gonna look at how he talks about that also here in Ephesians chapter four. So basically, I think we all have this struggle, whether you admit it or not, I think we all have this struggle. And so I wanna kind of outline the second half of Ephesians four with three questions. And the first question is this, three questions about change, change in the Christian life. First question, why should we change? And what's the big deal? I mean, if we're saved, we know we're going to go to heaven. Then why, why all this pressure to change? Why should our life change? Well, that's what he deals with first. And he starts out basically saying, hey, remember what God has done for us as believers. Remember all the theology from the first three chapters. How God has loved us and chosen us and enabled us to even see it. And he's come into our life and he's sealed us with his Holy Spirit. He's guaranteed our future place in heaven. He's done all these things. And, he's, and Paul starts off saying, remember all that. Think back to that. And all this as a gift that we receive through faith. And therefore, Paul's saying, because of that, huge gift and what God has done for us, we should no longer live like we did as unbelievers. We should no longer live like unbelievers. And in this next section, Paul's going to use this word Gentiles, which basically means non-Jewish. And most of these people he's writing to are Gentiles. But in this section, he's using Gentiles to mean unbelievers. So that's how he can write Gentiles and, and say to them, don't be like Gentiles. Cause he's using this word in the sense of non-believers. We're going to pick it up in verse seven. Are you ready? Woo! All right. Verse chapter four, verse seven. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way here's what he's doing. He's describing for them their life before Christ. He's describing the life of an unbeliever. And that applies to all of us, especially if we became believers as adults. Before that, we were aimless, he's saying, futility of mind. We were without understanding of the reality of God. And what that understanding of God's creation and who he is and who we are, we really don't understand the world. The world really makes no sense. The world is really meaningless. I mean, that's what atheists have to deal with. It's meaningless. Second, we were sightless. We we were darkened in our understanding, we, we live in a world of illusion that appears one way that as soon as we scratch the surface, the reality is a different way. The truth is something else. And, and people run around blindfolding themselves uh, so they purposely cannot see the truth of God. They don't want to see it sometimes. Because there's all kinds of implications on Who's the God of their life if they do? Third, we were excluded from the life with God because of ignorance and hardness. He say, hey, when we're unbelievers, we're alienated. We're excluded from life with God. And we do that because we're arrogant and we have hardness of heart. And this hardness that Paul talks about or hardness of heart like, like it said other times, in the New Testament, really has two meanings in the New Testament. On one hand, it's used uh, of the Pharisees, for example, when they were against Jesus. The Pharisees opposed Jesus one time in scripture, even while they're there on the Sabbath day in the presence of Jesus, and Jesus heals a man with a, a withered hand, withered arm, Jesus heals him right in front of them. I mean, it's a miracle, undeniable, right in front of them. And then they're so opposed to Jesus that after they see this, they plot to how they can murder him. That's hardness of heart. They see a miracle and they're like, no, we got to get rid of this guy. That's their response. But hardness of heart is also used in another way that invokes a little more pity on the people who are experiencing this. And that's people who are just sort of numb to God's reality. They're numb to it. It's like they really don't care. And I think this is a lot of people in our culture today, maybe people that are here have have struggled with this, that you're just numb to God, that you really don't care, that you think you're okay with God. You see no reason to pursue God. You don't really feel a need in your life for God. So you're just numb to God. That's the other hardness of heart. And so that he's bringing this up that we're excluded from the life of God with ignorance and hardness. And then he says, we were callous. We're given over to sensuality. And even that we do with greediness, meaning we we always want more and more and more. And the reason we want more and more and more is because it never satisfies. We think it will satisfy as we chase these things but these things never do. Calloused, we sin so much that it no longer affects our conscience. And we chase with increasing urgency what we think will bring satisfaction only to find that that satisfaction is non-existent or quickly wears off. And then what's happening also here is, and we see it today, that non-believers will attack anyone who questions or would, or would challenge them to say what they're doing is wrong. We see that in our culture. Nobody can tell anybody that they're wrong. They react hostilely to that. But that's the life before experiencing the mercy, the love, and the grace of God. So second question, how do we change? If we understand, yeah, I shouldn't be God has done all these things for me to make me a believer. He's given me all these gifts and now I shouldn't live the way I used to live. I should live in a new way. Well, then how do I make that happen in my life? What's the practical way to to cause that to show up more in my life? How do we change? Picks it up next verse, verse 20. I'm gonna go back on verse 20, so... We'll read that again. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so what does he say in there? And we've talked about that, we talked about this about a year ago. You put off the old self, you put off the old life, meaning you identify the wrong behaviors that don't honor God and you stop those behaviors. Not to earn your salvation, your salvation is a gift. You do that in gratitude and love for God. You start wanting to honor God with your life, you stop those behaviors that God says are wrong. And that's what Paul's saying, Christian, You've discovered a new life in Christ. You've learned the truth that's in Jesus. Don't keep living the same old life. God's given you something better than that. It's interesting how he says it's you. You, it's emphatic. You, lay aside the old self. It's corrupted. That old self causes us to pursue things like we said, that we think will bring satisfaction, but that satisfaction never lasts. It's not satisfying. It's actually self-destructive. And notice something there. Paul's assuming when you become a Christian that you learn truth, that you're being taught truth. And so we put off the old self and then next step there's three steps to this. We put on the new self. We put on the new life. We stop doing the things that we realize God doesn't want us to do and we start doing things that God wants us to do. We put put off the old self, put on the new self. Now, now here here's a weird thing about this. As I was thinking through this, it's like a lot of believers and some churches they only focus on one side of this or the other, not both. For example, some believers, and, and, and sometimes that, that'll be characteristic of, the, of an entire church, they only focus on the putting off. And so they isolate themselves. They, they build up walls. They make sure that the world can't touch them. They cut themselves off from the world and they only put off. But when they're not putting on, when they don't do the rest of that, when they just isolate themselves, then all of a sudden they won't, they, they don't have what it takes to resist temptation. The classic example is when, you know, a kid's raised in a very strict Christian home and then goes off to college and then goes off the deep end because he's not developed any resistance. He's not He's not been confronted with this. He hasn't worked through all this stuff yet. He hasn't learned even how to do that because he's been isolated. And we think we are safely isolated, but that never lasts. And then the question is what's happening next? While we we're on our trip, uh, when we went to the border, Mesot, and we actually ended that, uh, that side trip a little early because. Tutu's nine-year-old granddaughter passed away unexpectedly. And so, but while we were there, we were in a motel. It was actually the nicest motel I've ever stayed there in Mesot, border town. And it was a multi-story, uh, little but tall hotel called B2. And so while we were there, we are getting packed in. We were planning to be there two nights, only stayed there one night. But while we are there, as we were landing there, and, and we not in cars but we're in two different cars, our team split up, and we got together, we're getting our rooms, and our rooms are scattered all over, and it's one person to a room. And uh, uh, some people on the team said, hey, Kevin, can we have a quick meeting to just sort of catch us up to speed on everything that we've seen and everything that we're gonna see? Because, I mean, things are happening fast. And you're in different cars, so you don't all have the same experiences or the same explanation. So I say, yeah. And so we do that. So 10 minutes after everybody gets their stuff in the motel room that night after we had eaten, then they all show up at my room. And so we talk and then met and then they left. And so they're gone. And as far as I know, I think, I, I think there was one other person, maybe Clay that was on the eighth floor, but I'm the only person on the eighth floor besides Clay, who's a few doors down. And uh, I get in bed and just as I'm ready to fall asleep, my, my door's like, bam, 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 bam. You know, and it's not that big of a room and I'm thinking that can't be my door because I know nobody on our team would knock on my door that way. They would go knock, knock, Kevin, you know, bam, bam, bam. And then they start yelling. Of course it's in Thai, so I don't know what they're saying. So finally I realize it's my door. So I get up, throw my jeans on, walk over to the door And I look for one of those little round things and I'm thinking, hey, this is gonna be sometime where the little round thing's gonna come in really handy. And then so I put my eye against the round thing, I see nothing. I mean, nothing, I don't even see out the door because apparently there's a little metal flap that you got, but I figured that out, move the flap. (laughs) And then I was actually able to see out in the hallway, out in the hallway are two masked men. You know, they have the masks on like a lot of people wear and especially now. And they're pounding and they're yelling and I can't understand a word they're saying. And so, but they're obviously wanting me to open the door. Luckily, I have my trusty pack, my masculine pack. Some of you know what I mean by that. And in the front pocket of my pack, I have a switchblade, which I picked up in a market, totally legal. But anyway, and I'm thinking, should I put that in my back pocket as I open the door? Because I don't know these people, but I don't, but it's within reach. And so slowly, they're pounding, yelling. I open the door, and one of them has a gun just on his side, not pointing it. And, and they're both wearing masks, and I say, what? And through gestures and yelling, I figure out that the guy is trying to get into the room next door. But I step back, and I'm, there's no connecting door. So I let it, one, one of the men in. And I point, I gesture, you know, there's nothing here. There's no connector. He takes his shoes off, walks through my room to the little sliding door, you know, where there's a little balcony. The balcony is only two feet. I mean, you can't even put a chair there. It's like two feet by four feet. He opens the slider, goes out to the balcony rail. And I real, and he starts doing this with his dress pants. And I realize... He's going to climb on this rail around, and then there's a solid wall that extends beyond the rail out on the balcony so you can't go to the next room. And he, and he's wearing socks, which may be the first guy I ever saw wearing socks in Thailand, but I'm thinking, get the socks off. And he climbs over my rail, while well, the guy with the gun stays in the, in the hallway, but we can, you know, I can see him, and I can see this guy, you know. And he climbs over and then I'm kind of hanging on to the door because I don't know if the rail's going to go. And, that's, and this guy, by the way, before he started, he's like this on the rail. How sturdy is the rail? He climbs over, but basically he just around the wall. And I tell the guy, yeah, he's gone, you know. And then later, sure enough, I shut the door. But he comes back, gets his, <laughs> gets his shoes. And that's how they got into eight floors up. That's how they got into the room when somebody apparently slammed their door and the little latch came and, and blocked. You. you know those little latches? You know, psh, apparently this guy left, slammed his door and the latch jiggled the latch and then he couldn't get back in. So that's a bad job by the way. I'm just saying, that's not a good job that you have to go let people in through the balcony. But here's the point, I'm laying there in bed. I've, I'm all locked in. I think, hey, the world's out there. I'm safe and isolated. Until what? Bam, 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 bam. And that always happens is what I'm telling you. We can never totally isolate ourselves from the world. It always breaks down. Always something unexpected will happen. Always we end up rubbing shoulders with what we maybe didn't want to rub shoulders with. That's the way it is. So some people err on this putting off, putting on. They only put off Their whole life is about keeping the bad stuff away and isolating themselves. But there are other people who do the opposite. They only put on. They only, they look at God and they basically just try to add God to their life without changing anything in their life. They just try to add God, put on. And when they see and they are challenged about how they should act, they, they wanna add that too. And they're great with that. Hey, you shouldn't lie, steal, do all this. Hey, that, yeah, that's great. But they, they just add it, but they never really put that off. And what happens is their lives never really change. They're, they're still totally assimilated in the world. And they've become believers, but they're only putting on, not putting off. And so their life doesn't look like anybody else's life. As far as a believer, their life doesn't look like a believer's life. Their life does look like every other person. And remember before we've talked about that God has called us not to isolation because he wants us to impact the world, but also not to assimilate He's called us not to assimilation because he wants us to be his chosen people for us to be different in order to impact the world that we walk, do you guys remember this a long time ago? We walk the line between isolation and assimilation as believers. And when people or churches do one or the other, it never works. They never experience true life change. One, because they never have to, they're in a bubble. And the other, because they're just trying to add Christianity but they're not really attacking the things that they shouldn't be doing in their life so it doesn't, doesn't change, you can't tell. We can't separate putting off and putting on, we must do both. It's like here, Northwest Ohio, we have the rich, black soil. You know, being from out west, you look at soil here and you're like, wow. And you can clear out all the weeds in your garden or a patch, right? you can get every weed out of there. But if you don't plant a bunch of stuff, if you don't plant that full of grass, what's going to happen? Weeds just coming back, right? We, we've got to replace it. We've got to get rid of the bad behavior, but as we're doing that, that's not good enough. We have to replace it with the right behaviors. That's what he's telling us. So then Put off, put on, and then there's a third step. And that's so how do we put on and put off? And then he, he, he covers that. Let God renew your mind with his truth. And, that, and so we talked about verse 23. I'm sorry, we talked about verse 22 and verse 24. But in between those two verses is verse 23 that has this, what I'm talking about. Here's what it said. Refresh your memory. Second half of verse 22. Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And then this is jammed in there. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Then he goes on, verse 24, put on the new self, which is the likeness of God. So, how to change? we renew, we, we are renewed in the spirit of our mind. It's actually God renews us in the spirit of our mind. God changes our thinking. How does that happen? That happens when we take in biblical truth. That's why it's so important for believers to read the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of history where probably most of history since Christianity, most believers, or let me say this right because there's more people now, probably most of the time, the majority of Christian believers that lived didn't even have access to a Bible that they could call their own. And then we, you know, I think Americans have like five Bibles, but they just gather dust a lot of times. The great thing is, we can put a Bible on our phone. Actually, one of our university students as I was riding in the back of a pickup with, with some kids and there was this one girl that I realized, no, she wasn't, she was a senior. When they're seniors, they get cell phones because they have to start setting up everything for college. And so she had a cell phone, she was Hmong tribe and I can't even remember her name right now. Um, but anyway, she was Hmong and she, and then I'm like, do you have the Bible on there? And she's like, I'm like, you should have the Bible. A, I don't, a Thai Bible is kind of a thick Bible. I'm like, you should have the Bible on yourself. Well, while I'm sitting there, she downloaded the Bible. I mean, it was that easy. In Thailand, five minutes later, she has the Bible on her phone. She probably didn't have that phone that long. But anyway, she had the Bible. You know, and some of us don't have that. Hey, the way, the way we practically put off the old and put on the new is that we are in God's word. And and so one way is reading the Bible, the other way is what you're all doing. So, good job. You're here as we go through Ephesians. You're seeing how these texts apply to our lives. That's exactly what God wants us to do. By the way, church was God's idea. Jesus instituted the church. It's not a man-made thing. And and there's reasons for that. One of the reasons is that we would study corporately together God's word and then how so as we ingest God's word and study it that's one way that God challenges us and helps us through his spirit to make changes that changes our thinking about things because we're getting truth and then our changed thinking leads to changed behavior and then we can put off and put on does that make sense good good all right so last question if that's why change and how to change then let's just get real practical here what does change look like what am I looking for how do I know if I've changed how do I know if somebody else has changed although probably ain't gonna do you any good to look at other people just how do I know what's it look like well he he covers that verse 25 he says this therefore He's given it to you. And here's what he's going to say. He's just saying, put this off, put this on. And sometimes there's a reason that you would do that. Are you ready? Verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Specifically talking about in the church. Verse 26. Be angry... And yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer. But rather he must labor. Performing with his own hands what is good. So that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will be so that it will give grace to those who hear do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. And we have to remember something. Becoming a Christian, before we get into this, I'm just a reminder, becoming a Christian is being someone before it's doing something. Becoming a Christian first is being something Before it's doing something. This is the doing. But before all that, it's being a Christian. And that's the biggest mistake people make about Christianity. That Christianity is all about becoming moral. Well, Christians become more moral. That's true. But that's not what Christianity is. That's why people always ask, if you're talking to a non-believer, and they start really thinking about Christianity, a lot of times they'll stop and ask and they'll say, well, Kevin, what do I have to change? Am I going to, you know... Right. I, I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend. Uh, uh, is something going to have to change? If I become a believer, how's it? And then uh, how about my money? Or how about this? You know, if I become a believer, are things going to be different? And so we kind of say, well, and, and we know it's awkward for us to answer that because we know they're asking the wrong question. And the answer is, well, yeah, but you're asking the wrong question because before any of that happens, don't worry about that. Before that, you become a new person. And as a new person, you want to make these changes. It's not like now where you're going, well, I don't want to give this up, I don't want to give that up. It's no, you become a new believer and you want, you know that's right and you have this desire to give those things up. That changes everything. That's what people miss. Once we become a Christian, God's truth changes our thinking, then our behavior But look, so what did he say? Hey, from lying to truth. Because we're fellow Christians in the body. From uncontrolled anger to controlling and limiting anger. He's not even saying you can't ever be angry. He's just saying, don't do it in the wrong way. And don't keep doing it. End it. We can all get angry, but don't get angry because of your, that you've been personally injured in some way. Some anger is justifiable. When innocent people are hurt, that we can be angry. Just watch out, because when we're angry, we can do a whole bunch of dumb things. And a whole bunch of things that don't honor God. So be careful. He's saying, from stealing to working. You know, this is totally opposed to some of our politicians today. It's not just, hey, just split everything up. No, God's telling us work hard yourself and accumulate things for the purpose of being generous. That that's the way that should go. And he continues from unwholesome talk to beneficial words that build people up from bitterness, wrath, anger, slander and malice to forgiveness. And then Paul wraps it up this way and it leaks into the next chapter. He says, therefore, because of all that, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as fragrant aroma. Some of you have been reading through the Bible uh, on this Bible plan that I've been reading with and, and we've gone through a lot of Leviticus and we understand this imagery is coming from sacrifices to God, a sweet aroma from the Levitical sacrifices. But what's the deal here? What are we saying? How do we wrap this up? Follow God. Follow God. Offer God your life as a living sacrifice. Hey, do you end up struggling with that sometimes? Yeah, that's common to the Christian. If you're sitting here and saying, Kevin, I'm just a complete failure. I keep, you know, I, I keep trying, I keep trying, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work, it doesn't work. Well, it could be that you're putting off without putting on. And what's gonna help you do that is take in more of God's word. I mean, these are changes you can make, but hey, this struggle for the Christian life to struggle to live in a way that honors God, battling our own flesh, this is common to the Christian life. Don't lose heart. As a matter of fact, take joy in the fact that if we talk to God specifically about those specific areas, you know what we do? We pray to God like this, hey, and God, help me be a better Christian. Okay, that's a, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But you want to do business with God? God, you know I'm struggling with this in my life. And you know today I'll end up struggling with this again. Even though right now I don't think I will. But I have for the last three days. So God, I'm asking you today to help me with this issue in my life. You do that, God will show up. God, help me with this issue so I can honor you. God will show up. I know, give God your life, ask him to help you specifically if you're struggling, specifically, before, when you know you're gonna struggle, or you even think you might, talk to God about it then. And then if you you fail, repent. Come to him, he died for you. He paid the penalty for that whatever you did. Break the cycle of guilt. You're guilty, you should feel guilt. Repent before God and, and then he takes your guilt. And you move on to a new day determined to break the cycle, to put off the old and to put on the new. Let's stand together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your truth that impacts our lives. And Lord, you just lay it out for us because it, it's not easy for us. And sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we, we'll struggle so much, we even question whether we're a believer. Although we realize, God, that if we're doing that, that's evidence we are a believer. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the gift of grace and salvation. We thank you that you want to help us and will help us to do what you've called us to do. Let us determine to rely on you more for that as we put off the old and put on the new. In Christ's name we pray, amen.